Amen. We've heard a lot about capped wells this morning, haven't we? And the water gushing. And last week, Anne was talking about uh, shifting into that new identity for the new season. So I want to talk this morning about one of the things that caps the well and caps us from shifting into that identity. Because Anne kept on talking, and it's happened several times this morning, about the Masonic spirit. Now, whether we are aware or not aware of whether there's any Masonic in our bloodline, it's a sad fact that the church has been riddled with it. Because in the late 1800s, early 1900s, there was a distinct strategy to infiltrate the church to get the Masonic theosophic teaching into the nation. And so our pulpits have been full of Masons. So if you didn't think you were subject to it, the church has actually grown up with that spirit there. So I just want this morning to to begin to open up a little bit about that so that maybe we're a little more aware and we can deal with it both in our own thinking and be looking to see how we rightly relate and move forward. Okay? This is the decade of Ayin. Look and look again. We're used to seeing things happen in a certain way. Is that right? And the church operates in a certain way. And we know in this house we're, we're trying to shift into a new place. And it's not a case of shifting for the sake of shifting. It's shifting because the church hasn't functioned as God intended it. And we are trying to shift back to original plan. It's a restoration, it's a renewal, it's a reformation. The second reformation or the third reformation, depending on where you count from. But it's a reformation, how many you want to count, right? We need that reformation and we need it up here as well as here. And as well as declaring it and praying it over this nation. Because then we exported it to the world, Right, And we've heard this morning and we've been declaring about what comes out from this nation going out to the world again. We need it to be a pure flow, not a tainted flow. So John Paul Jackson says a stronghold, yeah, we've had strongholds, got strongholds in our minds. It's a stronghold is an area of the mind where darkness reigns. It's a system of logic. Rooted in a lie that an individual has come to accept. This system of thought is formed behind any habitual response, addiction, fixation, compulsion, obsession, and or inordinate fear. As such, a stronghold is any thought pattern alien to the word of God. It serves as a mental or emotional command point a command post to which the enemy has access. This mental or emotional word or thought system is designed to create misinformation and thereby affect an individual's decision-making ability. Consequently, a stronghold keeps a person 
from embracing true Christ-likeness. Now, strongholds often we don't recognize because it's normal for us. Okay? So we need to look into the mirror of the word and we need to look again because many of us have been reading the word for years and we know what's in there, don't we? But we need to look and look again because sometimes we're reading it through a lens. And it's that Masonic lens that I want to begin to highlight this morning for us. Um, I know many of us are aware of these things, but let's look and look again. Um, Anne uh, said last week about a rose that was in the garden. Do you remember? And it had the witch's virus. And the witch's virus allowed the rose to keep living. It was growing, but it never flowered. And if it didn't flower, it didn't fruit. So the church has continued to grow, but it hasn't always had the original image, the flower, and it hasn't been as fruitful as God intends. Right? The witch's virus. So we're looking to not have a form of godliness, turn up every week, do church, go home. But we're wanting the power. We're wanting the signs, wonders and miracles. And until we see that, there is something that needs to move forward. Okay? So that's where we're going. So the Masonic legacy that we have, as I said earlier, the church has been infiltrated by the Masonic thought system, which is often called theosophy. Okay? It's also, as we know, riddled with the whole pagan system that Constantine put in. So we've got these two strands going. The founder of Lucifer magazine in 1887, Helena Petrovna Blavatsky, and the editor Annie Besant. Now, I'd heard of Annie Besant, but I had not heard of Helena Petrovna Blavatsky. Um, Along with other occultists, believe that Christian churches were the key to introducing the doctrines of Lucifer to large masses of people. Um, in the 1904 report, they said, I believe it is through the churches and not through the Theosophical Society that the worship of Lucifer must and should come to large bodies of people in the West. I find that shocking. So whether we like it or not, it's happened. But God. But God. Okay? Now, some Masons erroneously believed it was okay to go to church and be a mason they thought they were compatible because they only thought the masonic thing was about doing good but we know more we understand lucifer is the mason's god isaiah 14 verses 12 to 14 says how art thou fallen from heaven o lucifer son of the morning how art thou cut down to the ground you who weakened the nations for you have said in your heart I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. 
I will be like the Most High. So, in his sin of pride, Lucifer tried to usurp control over God's throne. That's the origin. Lucifer was the anointed cherub who covered God's throne. He was the one who had musical instruments built into him. He was the worship. There was Gabriel, there was Michael, there was uh, Lucifer. And he was the anointed cherub. But the sin of pride was found in him, and he wanted to be as God. And so he was cast out of heaven with a third of the angels who are the demons now. Freemasonry is a Luciferian religion rooted in the ancient occult mysteries of Egypt. So this system of belief goes right back to the mysteries of Egypt and the mysteries of Babylon. It's nothing new. And the primary goal is the reinstatement of the ancient occult mysteries to prepare the world to receive the Antichrist. Occult means hidden. It's rooted in deception. We see it in New Age practices and we see it in the New World Order. Freemasonry is a hierarchical structure. I'm going to come on to that more. It's headed up by a group called the Illuminati. And Illuminati means the hierarchy. Right? And it reflects Lucifer's desire to be at the top, to be the head, to be over. Okay? Can I have my first picture? Do we know where it is? Is it ready? Thank you. Uh, We've seen before that on the back of the dollar bills, we have the New World Order occult symbol, the pyramid with the eye. The eye is on what is called the capstone. Lucifer is known, or they call Lucifer the capstone. Right? Notice the capstone is detached. It's above. The base apparently represents the masses of humanity, the slaves of the world government. The capstone represents the Illuminati and the all-seeing eye represents Lucifer, parading as an angel of light, 2 Corinthians 11.14 For Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. In reality, the Illuminati are trying to create a dystopian society. Dystopian means it's as bad as it can be. Uh, It's characterised by human misery. And I, for some years, have been appalled at the films for young people and the books for young people that is just creating this sense of hopelessness and fear and misery. Because there's a strategy to create a dystopian society. Um, now, Matthew 21:42 is very interesting. Did you hear me say that the Luciferians call Satan the capstone? Did you get that? That's one of the names they give him. Now, I want to look at this word capstone and cornerstone. 
Because we all know that Jesus is the chief cornerstone, don't we? But if you look in Matthew 21, 42, in your Bibles, depending on the translation you have, the King James will say, Jesus saith unto them, Did ye never read in the Scriptures the stone which the builders rejected, the same is become head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvellous in our eyes. We're familiar with that one, yes? Your translation will no doubt hopefully say something similar, or the cornerstone. If you have a 1984 NIV, it will say, Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone? The Lord has done this, and it's marvelous in our eyes. Now, because some people in the know were appalled at this, the NIV writers changed it back to cornerstone. But since um, 1980, what was it? 1984, the NIV has changed 38.8%. Because, as well as having a strategy to infiltrate the churches, they also had a strategy to infiltrate the Bible translations. So some Bible translations, I'm not saying all, but some Bible translations are tainted. The NIV has changed 38.8. And they realized that if they made these sudden changes, there was another one, another change they made, which took out gender. But again, there were many people in the true church threw up their arms and said, No. So they reinstated it. Now they don't announce they're doing a new translation. Just every time they publish some more, it's changed a bit more. And so the churches just buy the Bibles in without realising that this one's a bit different from the last one, which was a bit different from the one before, and so on. So please check your translation against a King James Version because... Do you know Smith Wigglesworth could not read until he became a Christian and he learnt to read by learning the King James Bible? It is built in such a a structured language way that it actually builds your language skills. But anyway, if you can't manage the King James, check what you're reading against it because you want to know that you're actually reading the truth. And so many of us read our Bible assuming it's all there, and it's not. Some verses, the blood, the cross, some of these verses are just disappearing. So check your Bible translation. But getting back to the capstone and the cornerstone, Lucifer is known as the capstone. It's a hierarchical structure, a hierarchy. In other words, he wants to be at the top. He wants to boss it, as the young people say nowadays. He wants anybody else under. 
right? It's hierarchical. He's at the top. Could I have the next picture, please? Jesus is the chief cornerstone. Where is a cornerstone? It's at the bottom holding the structure up. Let me tell you something about cornerstones. The first thing that bricklayers do before laying any bricks is to make sure that the foundation is straight. If the foundation is crooked, then the entire building or structure will be crooked. So a true line that is straight is established. And then the first big cornerstone is set into place. It is allowed to dry solid before it's built on. Everything that follows in the building is going to be patterned and built upon the head of the corner, the chief cornerstone. Can you see that if we're building on a capstone, it's not going to be in the foundation and it's not going to be solid, it's not going to be true, it's not going to be anything we want. The stone, the cornerstone was always located in the foundation's corner so that it could provide a convenient, true reference for the whole structure. Now, Jesus is the true cornerstone of the church. Can you see the difference between the capstone and the cornerstone? The cornerstone is the foundation. It's the straight, accurate and true stone upon which everything else is going to be built and measured. Obviously, if the cornerstone is crooked, then everything else is going to be crooked too. The cornerstone holds the structure up, but the capstone sits on top of the structure and holds it down. Now, which would you rather serve? Which would you rather be aligned to? So, we hear a lot about the apostolic model. You can move on to the next one if you want. That was doesn't tell us anything new it just keeps us focused as to who the cornerstone is the true cornerstone Jesus Christ so the apostolic model then is not hierarchical coming back to where we started strongholds mindsets paradigms as we sometimes call them like it or not we have grown up with a masonic mindset because that's what we've grown up with in the church. Unless you were saved last week and you've been totally unchurched all your life. Bless you. Otherwise, we've grown up under this. But God's pattern is not hierarchical. Jesus is the chief cornerstone. He came to serve, not to be served. Mark 10, 41 Uh, Sorry, 42. But Jesus called them to himself and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them. Right? Capstone. And their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man, the chief cornerstone, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So the apostolic model, the apostle is not set over. Now, I know some of this we've heard before, but I don't think we've fully 
grasped it, so I don't think it harms to hear it again. Right? The apostle's function is to set in order and establish, not to rule over. Okay? Moses was an apostle, as I see it. He set things in order according to the word of the Lord. And when we look in Numbers 2 and 3, we see the tribes set in order by Moses according to the word of the law. And in verse 5 of chapter 2 of Numbers, it says the tribes were set in order next to. And this tribe was next to that tribe. And the other tribe was next to. Now it does use the word first. But I want to say to you that without the Masonic mindset, first is not first as in hierarchical first, over. First just means first in order. But for many of us, when we read words like that in the Bible, we think hierarchy. Oh, they're first. They're better than then. They're over then. No. When we read... The Bible, we have to read it with a Hebrew mindset, not a Greek or Babylonian mindset. The Hebrew mindset looks at function, not form. But we look at form. If they're first, they're over. That's form. That's a structure. It's hierarchical thinking. But the biblical mindset looks at form. They're first because somebody's got to go on first. And you know what? The first people face the enemies first. You want to go first? Hierarchical thinking? Do you see? So we need to look and look again as we're reading the scriptures that we're not thinking form instead of function. And we're not thinking hierarchy instead of biblical mindset. God's pattern. So, they pitched their tents next to, and every tent had to be pitched facing the place of meeting with God. They always pitched facing the meeting place with God. So, they were positioned next to focusing on God. The problems with that came when some people who had grown up in Egypt under a hierarchical pharaoh master's slave system slipped into hierarchical system and said, who set you, Moses, over us? But he wasn't set over them. He was set next to with the function to set in order and establish so that they could move forward in an orderly fashion. The hierarchical structure leads to competition, comparison. And in, in the, uh, in the uh, Israelites as they came out of Egypt, they were judged for it. So the fivefold ministry model is not hierarchical. 
It's designed by God to equip every believer. Put your hand up if you're a believer in this place. If you're not, see David and Irene afterwards. It's designed by God to equip every believer. Did you put your hand up? It's designed to equip you. And it's not designed to equip you to sit on the seat. This Sunday, go home and then come and sit on the seat next Sunday. That's not what the apostolic model is about. It's designed to equip every believer to be in place, next to, connected to, moving forward together. Robert Heidler says the model is like a sports team. The fivefold ministers, apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist, if you're not sure what I'm talking about there, um, the apostolic gifts, those five gifts to the body, those five functions are the trainers, the coaches, Robert Heidler says. And guess what? The other people are not the fans sitting in the bleachers, as the Americans call it, right? They are the team. They're the ones going to score the goals. So if you thought you were a fan just there to sit on the seat watch, no, you're there to do the work of the ministry, And they're there to equip you, help you to be trained up and equipped to do it. We have to get out of the the mindset that was set in by Constantine as well, which was a pagan structure where one man, the priest, the vicar, the pastor, the whatever you want to call him, did the work of the ministry and the rest of us watched him or her if you're really modern, right? That's not God's model. And we have to be really careful that we don't just change the name on the office door from pastor to apostle, but still keep the same model. So Jenny and Steve are the apostles. They're set by God to set in order and establish. That is their function, They are here to help equip us as well as the other giftings in the body. But nobody is over. They are set in by God. But they are here to help equip everybody for the work of the ministry. There is no concept of uh, layman in God's model. So, Acts 8.4 says, therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. In the early church, the apostles, first apostles, the first teams functioning, having been trained by Jesus, it was then multiplied. They then trained the next people. Right? Now, they stayed in Jerusalem, but then persecution came. The apostles, it said, stayed in Jerusalem, but everybody else went out. Now, if that was the modern church, we would have lots of people sitting in rooms praying for the next leader to come in. But that's not what they did. They were scattered and went everywhere preaching the word. Guess what happened to the church? Guess what happened to the kingdom? Mark 16, and these signs will follow those who believe... 
If you put your hand up, that's you. In my name, they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. John 14, most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do. Greater works than these he will do. You can confess all through this week that because I believe in you, I'm going to do the works that you did, Jesus. And in fact, Jesus, I'm going to do even greater works than you. Make that your confession maybe this week. Verse 13, and whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified. That the Father may be glorified. That his reputation would be increased. If you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. Luke 9, then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority. He gave them power and authority over demons and to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And so we might read that and say, well, that's all right. That was the original 12. They've been with Jesus. So Luke 10, and these things, uh, sorry, after these things, the Lord appointed 70 and sent them out two by two. And the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Okay, and then in Acts 6, we read that because the administration, there were so many people saved now, that something needed to happen to set things in order to establish. And so we, we read that they set in, uh, however many men it was, was it 12? Yeah, 12. They set in 12 men to help organize things. So these were essentially administrators. Yeah? They say that there were the people who waited on tables, one of which was Stephen. Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And Stephen, full of faith and power, he's one of those waiting on tables, remember? You know, in the kitchen, washing up, whatever. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people because he was trained and equipped to do that. He didn't have a mindset that he was just doing the washing up and, you know, the apostles were doing the rest. And then Philip was another one, and we know what happened with Philip. Again, um, hearing and seeing the miracles which Philip did, multitudes, multitudes heard and saw. Okay? Need to start wrapping up. Are you getting where I'm going here? It's for everyone. And we've had a Masonic mindset. We've had a mindset that's been rooted in the structure of Constantine. And we have to reevaluate. Colossians 2 says, For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Who? In Jesus. In Jesus dwells all the fullness of the Godhead in his body. And you are complete in him. You are complete in him. Jesus is the head in function. He's the operational centre. We need to be rightly connected to him to operate. But you know that word complete, you are complete in him? It's pleru, or however that's pronounced it. It means replete. If you've had a meal and you're stuffed full, you're replete. Right? You're crammed. So, that's what that word complete means. So let's read that again. 
For in Jesus dwells all the fullness of the Godhead, all the fullness of the Godhead, not just a little bit, all the fullness of the Godhead is in Jesus and you are crammed full of him. Stuffed, replete. So we are ministers. We are ambassadors. Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to sit on seats. No, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared for us. We're here for purpose. Unique personalities, abilities, gifts. We're built for success. We're built for success. Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. Who did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, seized, that word means. It contrasts so totally with Lucifer who tried to grasp and seize that place. Jesus released that place. It was his by right, but he released that place and came even to give his life. We need to rethink our mindsets, any strongholds that we have. Look and look again. We as a body have to be rightly aligned to the head of the body, which is Jesus, who is a cornerstone upholding us, not pressing us down, right? And then as a body, we each have our part. Again, function, not form. Yes, on us, the head is at the top. But think function, not form. Right? It's the place where the brain is. The function is to send messages to the body so the body can work effectively. We are the body of Christ, We need to be rightly related to the head, but we also need to be rightly related to the other and think function, not form, right? Just because the mouth is up here doesn't make it any more important than the feet that are going to carry, right? It's function, not form. Let's stand. Lord, we ask your forgiveness for seeing one another through a hierarchical mindset, through a Masonic mindset. We renounce and break agreement right now with that stronghold. And we choose to walk away from it. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would show us where our thinking has not conformed to your word and your way of seeing and doing. And we choose right now to walk in the newness of life. And we choose today to walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, to be crammed, full, stuffed, saturated with your Holy Spirit. And we also choose to be equipped that we might do the work of the ministry. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen.